I get fired up every time I see that trailer. Woo. Last week uh, was episode one of the story of Jesus as told in the Gospel of Mark. And I'll tell you one thing. Pastor Mark was on Mark as he talked about Mark, wasn't he? <laughs> Woo. It, was, it was on fire. I wrote this down, what he said. He said, Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. The will of God is not an insurance plan. The will of God is a dangerous plan. When did we start believing that we could become like Jesus without being betrayed by Jewess, uh, Judas, mocked by Pharisees, tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, and crucified by Roman soldiers? When did we start believing that God called us to safe places to do easy things with nice people? He said this, he didn't die to domesticate us. He died to uncage us. Is church a celebration of historical facts, a recitation of just rituals that we have? Is it a religious observance? Or is church a powerful celebration of the people of God coming together to lift up the name of Jesus and be filled in the Spirit so that life is in us and life is all around us? Listen, back in the day, uh, we used to go to an old stanky old gym at getting school not far from here and our air the only air conditioning was a large industrial fan that was in the corner construction fan and that thing was just about louder than the eight channel soundboard that we had you could barely hear it, hear it if, if uh, that was on and then we used to go to a uh, a very um grungy theater in a basement at union how many union station people in the house today yeah, it's a badge of honor, right? And you go in there, and you'd walk in, and it was kind of like you were walking on wet carpet, but it was tile. <laughs> and, and it would talk to you when you would walk, because it would be the... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Have you been to that theater before? And I don't know what it was. It was like a, a cocktail of soda and mouse poop and chicken wing uh, sauce, and like I don't know. But you didn't just go to the theater. The theater then went with you wherever <laughs> you went through the day. And, and the cleaners would come in before us, and they'd take leaf blowers, and they'd just blow the popcorn and the chicken wing bones into our stuff underneath the curtain. This was our church. And, you know, we'd go there, and we had um, a large, very nomadic crew that would come in uh, from the streets. And a lot of times, they would um, use our bathroom sink as the shower. And so that was just the whole thing. And guests would come in and they'd go to the bathroom and, uh, hello, well, hello, hey, welcome to National Community Church. How are you? We hug here, give it, no, I'm good to go and I'm stepping out of here. And this was where we were. This was, remember the Boston days. We were at the Boston Theater and, and it was like every other week. Where's my Boston people? Boston people, come on, give a little shout. You, every other week we had a fire drill, didn't we? But it wasn't a drill. We would have to leave in the middle of service because old Dougie was on the popcorn machine again and the, and the popcorn grease caught on fire. Just happened to be over our nursery. This was what church was, right? And we got to leave again, but it would keep the sermon short. Come on, say praise God. We don't have any fires here. I'm sorry to let you know. And then we had the days at, at Lincoln Theater and we would go in and there was no kids space, right? 
and we would have to take the staging rooms in the back. The dressing rooms in the back became our kids' area because we didn't know what to do. We'd find corners in the, in the bottom, below the theater, anywhere we could to make it happen. And we had Echo Stage, and you would walk in, and 200 gallons of bleached smell would hit you as you walked in because three hours before, people were clubbing in the space, and so they had to clean it out. And, and it was the longest bar, I think, in the city, and so we'd put a big old bar uh, curtain over the bar because people would walk in and they think, "Wow, this church is innovative in their sacraments." <laughs> that is, did Jesus turn water into Hennessy or what? <laughs> so we cover it up, and you know, people would try to you know live in blessing of the sacrament uh, while we weren't looking. And this was what we did, and we we pushed people in this. We'd pack people in the small little theater in Georgetown, and we'd just try to make things happen in Potomac Yard. And we've been all over the space because we just believe there is power when we come together as the church to lift up the name of Jesus. This is who we are. It's in our DNA. It's in our blood. It is our history. It is our destiny. And that's this. We do this. Why? Because we believe there is power when Jesus is in the house. We don't just come together to play church, to patty cake Jesus. No, this isn't a community college where you come for an hour or two and you just get what you need and then you leave. This is not a country club where you show up to be entertained. We don't have country clubs in the city. No, you come into the city, you're going to do work, right? We come into this house, we're going to do work. This is a place, this is a house of healing. This is a turnaround where you come in one way and you leave another one because Jesus is in the house. He is showing up and he's ready to do his work on our hearts, on our lives. This is the church. Can I get an amen from somebody? He didn't die to domesticate us. He died to uncage us. You know what unlocks the cage? Faith. Faith unlocks that cage. Our second episode of the Gospel of Mark, week two, we find an incredible story of faith at the beginning of chapter two, and it unlocks a double miracle. Now, before we dive deep on this passage, I want to give a quick overview of Mark chapter two, because we're reading together in Mark two each week. Each week, we're going a chapter through, and I hope you'll dive in this week, but just a quick overview, and there's actually a cyclical pattern in Mark 2. We see it four different times happen. And it kind of goes something like this. Jesus shows up. He does something astounding and unorthodox. And then the Pharisees come along and they have some thoughts about that. And they have some questions. And so they ask them. Then Jesus answers those questions. Then the Pharisees disappear. And then the next question comes, right? It happens over and over. You'll see it up on the, uh, on the screen behind me. The first is verses 1 through 12. Uh, Jesus, his authority is challenged. They ask the question, isn't only God able to forgive sins? Then the second portion through 17, Jesus' relations, excuse me, relationships are challenged. And so they come and say, are you allowed? You, you shouldn't be eating with those people. And he eats with sinners. So they ask this question through verse 22. His freedom is challenged. Why aren't your disciples fasting like the others? And then in verse 23 through 28, his identity is challenged. Why are you not living according to the Sabbath? He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. This is his identity. And so questions are asked each time. The first question is a moral question, then a social question, then an ethical question, and then a legal question. But each time the Pharisees come, 
they bring these questions, but they're, they're brought out of a kind of a, a religious arrogance, if you will, instead of a holy curiosity. We don't have time to go into each one of these four stories, but I will say this. My, my macro observation is this. How you approach Jesus matters. Amen. How you come positioned to Jesus makes a difference. Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands. He who has a pure heart. The Pharisees approach Jesus trying to force him into their religious categories and understandings. The, the friends in this scripture, they approach Jesus trying to fit into a place of his presence. All right, so let's dig into our first story here, and it's verse 1 of chapter 2. I'm going to read along. You can read with me up on the screen. It says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. His primary calling is said right there. Now, Jesus has been doing miracles throughout the region. And they follow him to his hometown all the way to the place that he's staying. And they pack this house. Nobody else can fit into this house. And uh, it's not even Jesus' house. It's most likely Peter's mother-in-law's house. And so this place is packed out. The owner is probably already annoyed, right? Like all the good food has probably been eaten. The solo cups are getting left out. She's going to have to clean up after everyone. It's probably annoying because this place is packed out. But people would not let popcorn fires stop them from getting into the presence of Jesus. Wouldn't let nasty floors stop them. They wanted to be in Jesus' presence. Why? Because Jesus was in the house. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Side note, are the teachers wrong here? I don't think they're wrong. I think God alone is the one who forgives sins, right? But it puts some of us in a conundrum. Those of us who think Jesus is just a good moral teacher doesn't quite fit that category. Jesus doesn't leave room because he constantly makes these outlandish claims of divinity, that he is God. And he does it again here. He steps into this place of, of, putting, of, of living out the fact that he is divine. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. He shows the gift of discernment right here. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. A double miracle occurs because of faith. Not just faith. Faith in Jesus. I want to highlight four distinctives of faith that we find here in this passage. The first is this, intentional faith. 
we think faith is wishful thinking. If I really just wish it, if I want it, it's a, a mental exercise, if you will. But in this scripture, faith was practical. Faith was intentional. The guys got to carry this mat, this man through the streets. They got to carry this man through the alley. They got to go through the hot sun. They're probably sweating. They're, they're carrying a, a heavy burden that we don't even know what the air quality was like. I mean, maybe there was a fire up north in Samaria that the winds blew it down into. Was that crazy this week? Anybody else? Goodness, I still feel like I'm coughing up hairballs from just this week. That was crazy. But these guys, are they're, they're out there. They are working. Their faith expends calories, right? They have sweat equity in this miracle. And I like the way Pastor Heather said it. She said, their sweat watered the miracle that was to come. I know some of us know this is true. That someone else's miracle is on the other side of your faith. Have you experienced that? Right? Your miracle came on the other side of somebody else's faith. On the other side of somebody else's life. On the other side of somebody else's checkbook. On the other side of somebody's calendar. On the other side of somebody's active trust and faith in Jesus. And we thank God for those who have come before us. There's two sides of the coin to faith. The first is the content of your faith, which is what you believe. But the second is the action of your faith, how you believe. Okay, you have a belief, but how are you putting into action makes all the difference in the world. Now, we look at the scripture. You know what the friends are doing here? They're just prayer walking. That's what they're doing. They are walking through their neighborhood to get into the presence of Jesus. We have had 636 people sign up to prayer walk their neighborhood through the 40-day challenge. How awesome is that? It keeps just growing and growing and growing. We are out walking the streets. We are walking our neighborhoods for the kingdom of God. And I love it. Listen, on your way in, you should have got a card. I think I got one up here. I don't know what I did with mine. You got a card that looks like this, my Bless 5 card right here. If you're online, we actually have a digital version. If you go to the app right now, you can get it, get the digital version. But on your way, you got this. And one of our prayers for you during the 40-day prayer walk is that you would identify five things that the Spirit of God would prompt five people to be praying for. And so this is just a prompt. Put this in your journal. Put this in your Bible. Begin to write down the names of people God is prompting you to pray for. Now, if you flip it over, you'll see on the other side. Uh, we'll put it up here behind me. Okay, how do I pray for my neighbors? Here's just one idea. It's the bless acrostic. You take on each day, you just take this and you pray this over those neighbors. For example, on Tuesday... We're praying over labor. God, I just pray for, you know, whichever neighbor. God, I pray for them that, that you would bless the work of their hands. Lord, pour generously into their life. Bring provision, we pray. Pray that it wouldn't just be, God, I pray for, for Orlando right now, that it wouldn't just be a job, but that it would be a calling to step into purposes that you have laid out before. And you just begin to pray these things over your neighbor. But these are tools for us to step out. God has blessed you. Why? So that you can bless the people around you. It's the Abrahamic idea that he experiences. Receive blessing, pour out blessing to those that are around. And so we're prayer walking our neighbors together. We're blessing those around us. Our job isn't to save anyone, right? Anybody in the house with me today? Our job is not to save anybody. That's God's job. Our job is to pour out the blessing that he has given to us. Now, if I could just 
be raw and vulnerable for just a moment. It's just an interesting time, I think, for us to be prayer walking right now. Because there's just a rash of violence in our neighborhood. And so it's been crazy the past couple weeks. I mean, from armed robbery to multiple corners right around our house to even this last week, we had some contractors working on our house. And they were robbed at gunpoint on our porch, beat up. Their cash was taken. We weren't home. They were on our porch. This happened. We've had in this last year, we had our house broken into while we were sleeping. Our computers, a bunch of the kids' stuff was taken at night. Thank God nobody got hurt. So I, we gave God praise for that. But it's just crazy when things around you are happening. And right now at this very moment, uh, our neighbors are blowing up our WhatsApp group and, um, you know, trying to figure out what do we do in this season. So trying to get the police to come out, have a meeting, try to put more speed bumps. There's like all these things that are trying to happen. So this is a bit raw right now. So here's where we're at, right? And we're out. Okay, so we're going to prayer walk for 40 days right in this season. And our neighbor's trying to figure this out. One of our neighbors, a couple doors down, said, man, I'm just, because this stuff is happening in the middle of the day. I'm just not going to walk our neighborhood right now. So we've got neighbors just not staying in their house, not walking their neighborhood. In the meantime, hey, we'll be out there, guys. We'll be walking alone out there in the danger. It kind of feels like, remember that old cartoon where, uh, where the two deer were together in the field and the one has a big old target on his chest? He's like, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. I mean, all right. None of y'all are walking out here, but the people are looking to do some bad things. So we'll walk. We'll take it for everyone. They just put the target on our chest, right? That's kind of what it feels like right now as we're prayer walking. But listen, we're going to do what we're going to do. And we're going to walk for the kingdom of God. And we're going to walk in confidence with the spirit of God on us. And I'm trying to live our great calling, which is to love God and love our neighbor. And so God's going to prompt us as we prayer walk our neighbors, our, our neighborhoods. And, and I'll admit this, I, I'm still trying to grow to be a good neighbor. And I, I start to compare, and I'm like, I don't live up. Like I see Matt Johnson over here who just has his smoker out all the time. He smokes meats for the neighbors, and they just come over to his house. I'm like, dogs, i gotta, I got to be a better neighbor. All right, I think about the Gonzaleses, Heather and Nathan, and they're just so intentional and fantastic in, in, in being involved in their kids schools lives and they're just so good at that and then I think of Miss Tina who's always walking dogs through the neighborhood she gets kids to walk with her and everybody loves Miss Tina I'm like I gotta grow in neighboring but I've also found this as I prayer walk as I'm intentional God has allowed me to be a presence of peace in our neighborhood we all can find our place and for whatever reason God uses me to step into these places whether it's a a car that just crashes into the house right around the corner, and I got to show up because things are getting crazy, right? Or whether it's the, the drug busts that are happening in houses around us just showing up and being a presence for Jesus. Or even the other night, uh, this, this individual who had to be high was out just cracking on cars, and I had to jump into our van and move it so it didn't get cracked on. And then I come back just to be a presence there, and there's uh, a single woman in her car, she's just afraid to get out of the car. No, I'm not getting out of the car until I absolutely know he's gone. It's okay. Hey, I, I just want to let you know, I'm just going to be here. I'm not leaving as long as you're in your car. I'm going to be here with you, okay? So we're going to get you from the car into your house. It's going to be okay. Listen, if they want to get to you, they got to go through me. So that gives you like five seconds probably. But at least, <laughs> at least you got somebody here to give you a head start, right? 
It's like, you don't got to beat the bear. I just got to beat you, and the bear will get you, right? And so here's the thing. As we prayer walk, number one, we are pushing back spiritual darkness. We are warring in spiritual realms. I believe that. Do you believe that? We are warring. That doesn't mean life isn't easy and I'll just show up and everything's good. That's not true. I'll give you a whole lot of stories. I just give you the tip of the iceberg right here. I live in the city a while. We're pushing back darkness though. But number two, as you prayer walk, God will open up your eyes to be you amplified with the presence of Jesus for your neighborhood. So we're going to be intentional. That's our calling as we prayer walk our neighborhoods. Okay. So we see an intentional faith, number one. Number two, a tenacious faith. The friends show up to the house. They're just playing no room. You know what? They don't take a number. They don't get in line. They don't get hors d'oeuvres at the bar around the corner. They just keep going. Okay, well, let's go up to the top of the roof then. They go up to the top of the roof. How do we get in? They start to, the scripture says, they start to dig a hole in the roof. So first century roofs would be flat roofs. They would, have, they would be made of thatch and cross beams and sticks and clay and mud that would, would harden over time. So they, get, so they literally, it's not like opening up a, a sky roof hatch, right? And then just dropping in. No, they got to dig a hole back to sweat equity. They got to work to make this happen, but they are tenacious in their faith. They are tenacious for their friend. They will not be stopped because they want to get into the presence of Jesus. Some of us have lost the tenacity in our faith. And we have a tepid joy in our hearts, in our lives, because we have a tepid faith. We're halfway in. We're not pushing all the way in. And we still have maybe a tenacity in another area. We're tenacious working on our body, right? Exercising. and Yeah, I want to look good. I want to feel good. And that's where we're tenacious. Or it's, it's our career, right? Okay, I got to cheat this stuff so I can just go all in on my career because that's where it's at. I got to lift myself up and make a good name and a good resume. Or, or maybe it's even to set your kids up well, right? But what is that area where you are tenacious? But we have lost, some of us have lost tenacity in our faith. And we wonder why we're living a miserable Christian life. It's because we're just doing this in the water, in the pool. We're just going like, this is torture. Have you ever done that at the pool? Nobody, you just stand there. I just got to wait. You just got to jump in. Just go all in. And then you jump in and you enjoy the fruits of the pool, right? You got to jump in with faith. Go all in. Have a tenacious faith. May God give us a white hot passion for the things of God to not be stopped for our friends, to not be stopped for our neighbors, to go after him with a passion that he has filled every single one of us with. Today is Baptism Sunday. It's a good Sunday. Our last baptism, Catherine was among many who decided to get baptized. And Catherine, they didn't talk about faith in her house growing up. And her parents ended up getting separated. And her dad really was absent in her life for a lot of her growing up. And it became a real challenge for her. And she found herself in in a place of of depression, really down and kind of spiraling in the season. And her family, specifically her aunt, kept coming back to her. You need to come to God. 
and kept talking about the Lord. And, and listen, here's what Catherine shared. She said, I had no background with God, but I just kept hearing God, 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 God. So I started to pray. And God started to help me spiritually and emotionally. My aunt invited us to NCC and, began, and I began crying that Sunday and just felt filled with the Spirit. Yeah. It led to my decision to get baptized. And I went from wanting to be a part of a crowd to just releasing that social pressure. Mm. I found myself maturing and talking differently. God even helped me to actively forgive my father. If God could forgive me, Hallelujah. I can forgive my dad. Instead of living in a resentment that is actually just hurting me. Since Catherine has gotten baptized, she's gone from kind of shy and timid to this bold action. And her, along with Bulu, who also got baptized last time and become buds, now they jumped in and they're serving on our first impressions team. And they're coming to every house of prayer and they're just going for it, living boldly because of what the Spirit has done within them. Now, here's what's cool. So Catherine's mom started coming to NCC and started into stepping into faith. And Catherine's mom has decided to get baptized. Come on. Today. She's getting baptized today. And now, she's a little nervous because of the language barrier. But I told her, listen, at NCC, we believe in Pentecost. So when you get in that baptism water, you can confess faith in any language that you want. Okay? And we're going to be good with it. All right? And then I said, and you know what? Also, we're going to be behind you. We're going to be cheering you on. We're going to be celebrating. You don't have to be nervous. We are with you. You got my backs on that one, by the way? So if I'm the only one there, it's like me are with her. But we need a we are with her. So come on, get out to the picnic today. We're going to celebrate 11 stories of God's grace. It was because of a tenacious aunt's faith that God bore a tenacious daughter's faith. Because of a tenacious daughter's faith, God bore a tenacious mama's faith. Because of a tenacious mama's faith. Is somebody encouraged in the house today? Somebody filled with faith in the house today. Which illustrates our third point. They had intentional faith. They had tenacious faith. Number three, they had a unified faith. Verse five says, when Jesus saw their faith, plural, their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your, and this is in English, it could be plural or singular, right? But in the Greek, it's a singular word here in the Greek text. Your sins are forgiven. It doesn't say when Jesus saw his faith, then his sins were forgiven. No, he was forgiven for their faith. Jesus responds to a people of faith seeking God, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there, right? We see it in 1 Samuel. Saul had been tormenting David. And in chapter 16, verse 23, it says that uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, came to David and it's at Horish and strengthened David's hand in God. I wonder if you've had somebody in community just step up for you. Yeah. Just lean into you and just lend you their faith. I wonder if you've lent your faith to somebody else at House of Prayer a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had a, a pastor get up and just briefly share about their church. And he talked about a, a debt mindset that in this church in Ohio, in the city, they just have a debt mindset. And they have 
actually a great debt at their church they've had for years, and he's just believing that God would help them overcome the debt mindset and actual the, the actual debt that they have. And Pastor Mark just felt prompted. He said, I believe that we as a church can step in and retire that debt. And he called us to generosity, a house of prayer. Anybody there that night? He called us to generosity as a church. And that night, the majority of people at House of Prayer that night gave towards this debt. And this past week, they sent Pastor Mark pictures at the bank. And guess what? We set off a praise party in Ohio because we retired the debt of this church. Revival is breaking out in that church because of a unified faith. When we come together, all picking up a piece of the mat. And I love, can I just pause right there to say thank you for your giving, by the way? Thank you for your generosity. And Pastor Mark said it the other night. We're just going to keep giving it away as God prompts, as the Spirit prompts in the city, around the nation, and to the ends of the earth. He is empowering us to be a generous people. So they have a, a unified faith in this passage. And Jesus does something. He retires this man's debt. He retires his sin. Your sins are forgiven. I believe Jesus wants to retire some things in the house today. Somebody has some sin here and he just wants to retire it. He wants to retire somebody's fear. Hmm? Fear just living in you. He wants to retire that. He wants to retire somebody's bitterness, right? You can feel it right now. It's intertangled in your spirit is bitterness unforgiveness. Jesus wants to retire that. He wants to to pull it out and release it, cut it off and let it go through the power of the spirit. He can do all things in Jesus name. Now, Jesus does this in the scripture and it's this amazing, he does an amazing thing or he forgives the man's sins. Yet they came for something else, didn't they? They didn't come for his sins. And there is no passage in Scripture that diagnoses the true need better than this passage right here. Because they come for a very clear temporal need. But Jesus does what? He heals an eternal need. Now, what if you went to the doctor with disease? You show up at the hospital. Get a battery of tests done. Doctor comes back to you. Sit down. Hey, I got some great news for you. All your debts have been retired. They've been forgiven. Okay. Oh, thank you. That, that's wonderful. But I, was, I came uh, because of the disease thing, right? We were talking about that. But all your debts have been paid. <laughs> Great. Right? You know, but like, like what's happening here? We came for this one thing, yet Jesus does something totally different. And what do you think the friends are doing? When they show up and they're saying, Jesus, we ripped the roof off. Not so that you could forgive his sins. This isn't about forgiving of sins. We ripped it off because he's a paralytic. And we dropped him down to you. And they got to be thinking like that. The sin isn't the problem. And Jesus is saying, no. The sin is the problem. Because why? Because he sees, he sees not just temporal need. He sees eternal need. And he drives to the deepest need possible that we have in our lives and in our spirits. Let me just ask this question today. For those of us who bring a problem into the house, can I just pose this question? What's the problem beneath the problem? There's the problem, 
What's the root cause underneath that? So I come in and I'm just angry, ah, filled with anger in this relationship or in this area. Don't just live at that level. Don't just ask for, for just a, a, a combing over of that anger. No, what's underneath that? Jesus wants to bring eternal healing into our spirits. He wants to get underneath the surface. Catherine, she didn't just come to get a, a surface level. No, she got into the presence of Jesus and she received eternal life in Jesus. And then guess what happened? Along the way, all this resentment and bitterness and the spiraling and the emotion, all that came alongside when she found life in Christ. So he forgives his sins. But the fact is, he does heal him after this then. And the friends aren't focused on religious correctness here. They're focused on Jesus being in the house. And so we find our fourth point of faith, which is this. They have a focused faith. The power isn't just in having faith, right? The power is in the object of our faith. What do we have faith in? I've heard it said this way. Faith is what we look with, not what we look at. What does that mean? It means, okay, if you have glasses... You don't walk around with your glasses looking at your glasses, right? Going through your day, all right, if I just keep focused on these glasses, I'm going to be all right. No, what do you do? You put the glasses on and then you walk around. Okay, now I can see clearly. Now I can see the world around me as should be seen. Now I know how to act and to react because I put this on. Faith is a lens in which we see our world through, right? And it's not just about faith. It's about the object of our faith. We don't just have faith. We have faith specifically in Jesus Christ. We tend to make everything about us, don't we? Even our faith, we make it about us. Well, I don't have enough faith. I don't have intense faith. Or I don't have faith like that person over there. No, the, the people, the friends in the scripture didn't have, just, they didn't stop when they got to the house and it was full and say, oh, okay, guys, I just got to, come on. We got to wish harder. We got to hope harder. Let's stop it. No, they, had a, they just kept going. All right. Shoot, what do we do? All right, we got to keep going. They go up the stairs. They go to the roof. They dig out the roof. They had a tenacious faith. They had a focused faith. What was that focus on? The focus on Jesus is in the house. We got to get into the house because Jesus is there. That's where we need to be. And they get in, and then Jesus says, when I saw their faith. And then the miracle comes. Jesus doesn't just forgive sins then. But he invites the man to participate in his own healing. Pick up your mat and walk. And he's healed and saved and he walks away a new man. And the scripture says, this amazed everyone and they praised God. Faith begets faith. When you live out faith, it will be multiplied. Our response can be like that of the Pharisees with, which came to Jesus and just questioned with a an arrogance in their life, or it could be a response like these friends who come to Jesus and they have a holy curiosity just wanting to get in his presence because Jesus was in the house. Can I tell you something today? Jesus is in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell me you didn't sense his presence when we were worshiping earlier. Jesus is here and in the house. And I'm going to slip ahead to episode 15, the end of the book, in the end of Mark, Jesus doesn't stand up and he doesn't lift up his hands and, and heal thousands of paralytics. No. He gets at the end of the book 
and he lifts up his hands out wide and he gives his life so that our debts could be forgiven, so that our debts could be retired. And he goes out wide and he, and he sacrifices his, his life on the cross so that we can find new life in Christ. Albert Moeller said this. He said, the world tells you the problem is outside of you and the solution is inside of you. But the gospel tells you that the problem is inside of you and the solution is outside of you. And that solution is Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, the paralytic was on the ground and he couldn't get up. Jesus was upright and he picked him up. He brought him up to be upright. And what did Jesus do? Jesus went down low onto the cross and he traded places with the paralytic. He trades places with you and I when we come to him in a humility and holy curiosity, in faith and give him our lives. He will trade places with us. And so today we receive your grace. For all who will come, Lord, you invite us in. We thank you that your word for your promises that teach us Jesus, of your grace. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in you shall be saved. So Lord, for those of us who need to take a step of faith for the first time and put our trust in you, Lord, I pray right now you would strengthen their legs, bolster their faith, allow them to admit their sins and their wrongs, to confess who you are, God, and then to step in and follow you fully as Lord. And for those of us who have gotten apathetic, I pray today that you would breathe into us, breathe into our lives, lift us up, pick us up, and help us to live in a white-hot passion for the things of the kingdom of God. And now as we worship together, we pray that faith would fill this house as a community of faith that we would bring full honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.